Woohoo! Welcome to the Somewhere Called Play podcast. We are so happy to be with you today. It's Tuesday. Tuesday! Freaking Tuesday. <laughs> I don't know, I'm feeling the good Tuesday vibes today. Yeah. Actually, I feel, I feel like I feel good Tuesday vibes all the time. I, work, I wake up in the mornings and I'm like, it's podcast day. But to celebrate podcast day, I sent like 100 emails this morning <laughs> and I feel pretty terrible about that. So I think I'm on probably like 5% of your total emails and I'll log back into my Gmail and see just all of these uh, black boxes for new emails. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what do I have to respond to? And then I'm like, oh, those are just Megan's. I don't have to, I'm usually CC'd. It's something I don't need to respond to. And it makes me feel really good. But then I'm like, wow, what did you just go through? If that's a 5% window into your life. Well, I feel bad to the other people that are waking up to that and don't have that gift of being CC'd on those emails. Actually, whenever I open an email and realize I'm CC'd on it, I'm like, ah, yes, I just get to watch this unfold. I don't have to participate in the unfolding. It's kind of nice. You're the kindest emailer that's ever lived. Like you're never the type of person that's making someone feel guilty. I think most people probably feel really excited when your emails show up in their inbox, I don't know about that. Why? I, I don't know. Well, I mean, I hope so. I'm sending like kind greetings and I'm also said sometimes it's like I'm sending work and I'm inherently yeah. sending work and I feel bad about that like I wish I could have like some sort of function on email where it just sends to a person at like 11 a.m yeah. instead of 5 a.m actually I think you can do that I'm just not sophisticated enough with email to make it happen what I wish emails had I was just thinking about is remember like in kindergarten where they had the sticker charts up on the thing and you would get I like, was just gonna say this really? this is crazy yes this is wow. mind-blowing <laughs> but don't you wish that in while you send these emails that give people work or in my case may chastise an athlete or tell them that their goals need to change slightly that there could also be a unicorn sticker or i don't know a cat or maybe even i don't know a lizard or something i feel like there were some really weird stickers going on back in the day i agree and i think my problem with this is i would just have an unintelligible sticker chart going along <laughs> with my email so it would just be like pizza burger and people would be like well i don't know what this means oh i know that this is worthy of celebration um yeah i think january is a weird time for work in general because Everything is kind of moving towards 2022. Everyone's starting to think, oh, shit, I've got all these big things lined up. Um, so I imagine your research is kind of taking off right now, right? Like in terms of responsibilities and things. Well, in terms of responsibilities, it's not just research. It's like everything <laughs> is going bonanza yeah. right now. And also with athletes, I mean, everyone ha- is setting up their goal setting and every all of that stuff. And that can get really complicated. I mean, for coaches, especially because you're got to balance big goals and big dreams with the fact that like not all big goals and big dreams are going to happen. It's a lot going on. I totally feel that. Well, I spent the holidays like reflecting and dreaming and doing all these, like catching up on all these things, watering all the plants in our house. The plants were like, what's happening? (laughs) It's clearly the holiday season. Watering the literal plants and then your metaphorical dreams. That's true. Yeah. Just got to, got to water both. And then I entered into January and it was like, there's no time for watering anymore. (laughs) It's like, here's the meeting bonanza. Like, sorry about all those plants you had, but it's January now and we're going to cram 50 zooms into this one week well the plants are doing pretty good i feel like they're all succulents so they'll be they'll be solid uh any other type of plant is probably long gone with us um but i mean you found a lot of good ways to manage it like megan has actually been changing out of her grump suit this is pretty shocking if you've listened to the podcast i mean megan is the queen of the sweatpants and i love your sweatpants game i think your sweatpants swag is epic um but what what has motivated that do you think my sweatpants swag is sexy oh it is is. is it epic and sexy these are very important questions it is so sexy i see those like three or four stains on each one and i'm like hell yeah girl 
get me those stains. <laughs> is that sexy to you when I talk about your stains? Oh, real sexy. I feel <laughs> like sure. this is this is the exact vibe we got going on. But I had I had to have a grum suit intervention. Yeah. I feel like it was happening seven days a week. I was finding all kinds of creative ways to hide it on Zoom calls. Like <laughs> I would put a sweater over my onesie and be like, I'm business casual yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. This is how it's rolling. But I had an intervention. I joined a co-working space in Boulder and it has been monumentally life-changing. Okay, okay. And I'm like, why did I not do this two and a half years ago? This is confusing. <laughs> we need to take a step back. I think it's kind of odd that you joined a co-working space after we watched the WeWork documentary on Hulu. That in the WeWork documentary, if you've never seen it, it's really good. It's really interesting. But it's about how essentially it was all a scam. This, this whole community was corrupted. And I was like, I want to join a community after this. Yeah, yeah. I was like, this corrupt community looks, I mean, I want friends. I need a cult in my life. Um, so I maybe that's just coincidence. Incidents. Maybe it just planted the, the seed. So yeah, what, what has motivated this uh, co-working space revelation for you? I had to have an intervention. I was sitting in my office, like in a grump suit all day, talking to people on Zoom. And I was like, I need to get outside of the house. I yeah. need to have a commute again. I need to interact with people. And it's been great. Though, actually, I came home yesterday from the co-working space. Yeah. And you're like, Megan, did you talk to anyone today? And I was like, actually, no, I didn't <laughs> talk to anyone. But I did talk to three golden retrievers. And that <laughs> pretty much made my day. It made the, the co-working yeah. space all worth it because it's a dog-friendly co-working space. What more do you want? Yeah. It just so happens that you have the three best dogs in the world right there. I mean, Addie's going to love this. Are you going to take her in eventually? I am. I kind of have to, I wanted to like establish myself yeah. first before bringing in this dog that gets like so excited that she can't even walk on linoleum floors <laughs> into the co-working space. I need to establish like one, like one week of a sense of normalcy about myself before bringing in Addie dog yeah. with me, but it's time. I think she's come in this week. She's going to live her office working dreams. I love it. You're going to totally uh, torpedo any of your productivity once you bring Addie in and she's just like that smile at everyone. If you've never seen Addie, she does this <laughs> where her, her teeth bare and she means she loves you, but it looks like she, she wants to eat you. Um, so it'll be interesting to have her in there, but it's been good for how you feel in your brain, right? Like, I mean, you've been coming home and you've been so happy and relaxed. It's been very interesting. I have been productive as shit in this co-working <laughs> space. Almost actually like sometimes I have to harness that energy and be like, oh, maybe you should go for a walk outside yeah. because you've been working for four straight hours and maybe you should do something about it so it's been pretty game-changing for me also they have a snack bar and yeah. any any co-working space that has a free snack bar i'm all about it they even have i mean they're pretty covid conscious so they have socially distanced cereal and I'm like that's <laughs> that's so great i'm here for the socially distanced cereal yeah I was, I was looking you sent me a picture of it and i was like oh this is good it's got that continental breakfast vibe going on but if it just had hotel eggs you know how like they layer out the the big thing of eggs that kind of I, they look a little bit manufactured, like they came from a, a laboratory in 1960s Russia. But like, I'm all about that. That is might be my favorite food in the entire world. They don't have those at the co-working space. If they did, I would just move there. I would just like put up residence in one of those offices. Maybe I'll put in a request. They have a request box. Oh, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna do it. But this is Boulder, so they're gonna have like the just eggs, which are like the plant based eggs. <laughs> yeah. Actually, they're delicious. I had them the other day, and I was like, these are mind blowingly good. Uh, just eggs, fantastic. But I I'll put it in the suggestion box, and you can come with me on a guest house. <laughs> well, it'll be so that, fun. We can maybe, that would, trip. maybe that would be bad though, because I feel like part of why, why it might be successful is that it does change up your vibe a little bit. Maybe having me there would not change up your vibe. Maybe part of it is escaping me, not just no, escaping the No, it is not. Suit. I promise you, it is not escaping you. It's just just breaking up. It's having an intervention with my grump suit is purely what it is. It actually though reminds me a lot of Silicon Valley. So yeah. I was part of a few incubators in Silicon Valley and some of the conversations are so similar. Like I'm walking around this co-working space and yesterday I, was, I heard someone say, 
yo, you've been a good entrepreneur, bro. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I am in Silicon Valley all over again. The weirdest part is that they were talking to the golden retriever. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like, dude, you're, bro, you're, cuddle game is on fleek it's so strong bro <laughs> good cuddle <laughs> exactly i mean that's actually that would be an amazing entrepreneurial space though oh, golden yeah. retriever cuddle games i feel like let's let's bottle that up and sell that it would yeah. do well and cuddle is the perfect name for a uh for a, one of these entrepreneurships like that's for one so of the true i mean we were talking about the one word name startups the other day yeah. we had like splooge and splunk and clunk and deep dunk and all these cuddle cuddle fits right in there it's so great i bet it's already taken honestly i bet but in the silicon valley incubators i was often the first person to leave at like 4 30 so i could yeah. commute home i always got there early and now the office in boulder clears out at two and i'm like where is everyone <laughs> going and i actually asked i did talk to someone yesterday i was like where's everyone going and she's like they're going to the mountains and that's so boulder it's this like entrepreneurial setup of people that leave at two to go to the mountains i'll be really curious to see if any uh, successful startups uh start in that context maybe they will maybe it, maybe that's where the magic happens. i was gonna say maybe it's healthy for mental health there's all different ways you can i mean being out in the mountains, great for creative brain space. Yeah, that's really interesting. Maybe that's the the way to get the brain flowing. So what are your big takeaways for like other people? I mean, because I think it's pretty interesting. You've you've been rejuvenated by this um, you know, change in approach. I think it's pretty cool. I think for me it was about investing. So like I mean, it's a little bit pricey, but it's actually not that pricey for what it is as a co-working space. And my brain kind of did the decision calculus on this. And I was like, is it worth it? And I was like, actually, it's worth taking a risk, like taking a leap, trying something new. Like, yeah. I just felt like my work routine was a little stale. And for a while, I was like, nah, just persevere. You got it. <laughs> and there was something about like heading into January that was like, oh, Megan, maybe you should listen to that. Yeah. And I think like actually tuning into that and like trying to make a change and investing in myself in that process was something that was super valuable. And if, if you're out there and you're wearing a grump suit every day and you don't feel like you have that creative mindset, <laughs> invest in like invest in something a little bit different too and see what happens. Yeah. And I'm the reverse. Like I just love being, making my butt divots in the couch every day. That being said, it's not that expensive because you are totally ruining this business with your snack game. I was going to say, I could make up the the price that I pay in free snacks, free mints, free coffee. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's pretty wild. As soon as I heard there was free food, I'm like, this is a scam. This is not going to work. This company is bilking its investors because Megan is going to ruin them. <laughs> like that is what we're all about. We're like, if there's nothing else you take away from our podcast, it's to step up your snack game so that a $300 a month co-working space is getting ripped off by the amount of trail mix you eat. <laughs> They even have sparkly water too. Oh, and what? I was like, Don't they have a sparkling water fountain? They have a sparkling water fountain. So I'm saving the environment because I'm not drinking sparkling water cans. So <laughs> there we go. This is this is 100% the reason for the co-working space. Yeah. So the big lesson is, you know, if you're feeling that um, like antsiness, mix it up. You don't necessarily need to do that. Um, it just means like you can change up your routine now, especially with Omicron everywhere. Like things are getting complicated. I think it's one of those times where everyone has to make their own decisions. Like Megan's being extremely COVID conscious. Like our athletes are racing. We're really into that. But, you know, everyone is kind of facing this question of like, should I just lock myself in my house or should I go out? And we're like, I think it's time to live your life, you know, while being safe. Yeah. And I think it depends. And that was actually a very dedicated decision calculus I had to do for my own self because yeah. with this myocarditis, I can't get the booster. My doctors were kind of like, you probably shouldn't get Omicron. Like yeah. we don't know what Omicron is going to do to your heart, to your lungs, issues that I've had over the last couple of weeks, last couple of months. And 
I kind of like quarantined for two weeks yeah. and my mental health went down, <laughs> so like true. so down. And I was like, I need to have, I need to just kind of like figure this out. And the co-working space was part of that, but certainly it's a decision calculus. Like I sit in there all day with an N95 and I yeah. actually come home and you're like, Megan, why do you have wrinkles, like new wrinkles <laughs> on your face? And I'm like, these are just baked in from the N95. <laughs> my face is like fully absorbing this N95 mask. But certainly, you know, like when I'm in a conference room and I, I take off the mask or, you know, I step yeah. outside to eat, like there are some, some risks associated with it. And it's something that I had to just kind of manage the balance between men mental and physical health right now. And it's it's not easy. And I think it's always an end of one choice. Well, I'm mostly worried about you coming home with a cuddle transmitted disease. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <The> CTDs <laughs> from Golden Retrievers. Not uh, not something we need in our house. <laughs> I just, you know, I talk dirty to this Golden Retriever. Something about the investment portfolios. I'm like, you guys are killing it with ooh, your investments. Ooh, bro, I want to see you roll around in that mud. <laughs> um, okay, let's move on. Uh, so quick follow up on our uh, microbiome discussion that was on... We, we framed it as poop doping in like kind of a humorous way. Um, but we had an amazing email come in from listener S, which is this. We have been using poop doping with sports horses for a while. There are no rules against it. So I guess it's not technically doping. In my very anecdotal N equals one experience, I haven't seen it have a huge effect on tons of things from strength to temperament to hair quality. Ooh, hair quality. Yeah. I imagine if I don't in my poop, someone would just spot, sprout rainforest eyebrows. And they'd be like, <laughs> what happened to me? What is wrong with this poop donor? <laughs> so, I, I mean, I don't want to say it's true, but it's true. Um, yeah, it's really, we, we were reading more on this, like just doing some more research because it's pretty fascinating. And there's a story in 2017, so it's not FDA approved. So um, for certain uh, situations, so this doctor had Lyme disease issues um, that affected their digestion. They ended up getting, um, essentially took a ton of antibiotics to wipe out their microbiome, then did a reverse enema with a healthy donor. Um, and after that, they their performance went through the roof and their long-term symptoms kind of went away. Uh, obviously, N equals one, and there's a lot more to come on this, but it's really weird to think about where this might be going in uh, a really productive way too. Like I think all of a lot of chronic illness might have, you know, there might be some evolution in that direction that is really hopeful for the future. I agree. And as we talked about on last week's podcast about the microbiome, I think 10, 15, 20 years from now, maybe even shorter, five years from now, that's going to be something that we just have a lot more research on and a yeah. lot more understanding on, which is exciting. And I think something for me that's exciting as a researcher, I, I thought about this and I'm yeah. like, you know, I sign up at the, I go to the DMV and I sign up for organ donation. Yeah. It's like, how do I put poop donation beneath the <laughs> organ donation? Like, how does that work? Well, I, they might want your poop. They do not want mine. Like that would be the worst thing ever to donate. It'd be like giving, you know, bringing to Goodwill, um, like some blanket that's full of like the bubonic plague or something that would be getting my poop. No one wants that. In fact, I was thinking, um, you mentioned briefly about the toilets that will measure this one day. And, and a listener actually sent in, um, Stanford, in fact, of did, course, yeah. <laughs> develop toilets that monitor disease one step away from like microbiome and stuff. Um, but we're getting there. And I was like, that toilet, if it saw me would be like, Oh no, <laughs> like X, 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 not good. Uh, turn around, run the opposite direction right now. Meanwhile, for me, it would just be like, she's pooping sparkles. <laughs> just kidding. Actually, it would be like, turn and run around. No, no, too. no, you, all, all of your various stains are perfectly sparkly. Um, so 2022 is going strong as we're talking, talking about. Um, one really interesting thing is that we are usually the top running podcast in Kenya. Which what? I'm, I, Megan doesn't. I don't. I these. don't follow these statistics. I, I look at them after uh, I was told about them 
um, by uh, Scott War, who runs Tro Runner Nation, a great podcast. And I'm pretty pumped by that. I feel like being the top running podcast in Kenya is a pretty big deal. And I was thinking that that's probably, I'm not sure how Apple does it. My guess is it's a pretty constrained group of listeners. Um, so if you're out there listening from Kenya, shoot us an email at somewhere at gmail.com. We want to address some question you have in particular, because I imagine this is just like a few people that happen to listen each week. I don't know. Kenya's got a big population of runners. I'd, be, I'd be curious to know what that N is. Uh, <laughs> be curious to know the population of listeners, but also oftentimes the top from what you tell me, David, I'm, I'm going by David's. I, I don't look at these things. So I'm going off David's David's vibes right now. Often the top podcast episode in running in the US too. So big kudos to our listeners out there for spreading the love, for sharing the vibes. Yeah. We appreciate it a lot. Yeah. So the individual episodes are often hit number one, which is, um, you know, I try to shield Megan from this. In fact, you were ta- asking me last night, you were like, David, do we get critical feedback? And I was like, yeah, you know, I send it to you sometimes. And she's like, no, I mean, do we get like really critical feedback? And I was like, don't worry your little head about it. I'm like, please send it to me. (laughs) So uh, yeah, we do appreciate critical feedback, but that just goes to me um, unless Megan needs to hear it. I do need to hear it. This is my plea to David. Send it to me, please. The thing is you care so deeply and you don't want to let anyone down ever. Oh, but I care so deeply, but it's also important for me to figure out how to improve. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I go, I would would like to hear it. I I can filter it. I can absorb it. I can practice my like, you know, putting boundaries up and your self-compassion what hits my brain exactly okay uh, well that's a that's a good lesson so yeah uh don't actually i'm not gonna i'm not gonna volunteer to get like super critical feedback i feel like uh most of our most of those people that don't like hopefully understand our vibe have been filtered out by now but uh yeah you don't need to you don't need to send that unless it's like something really real <laughs> um but yeah so it's been a very fun journey on the podcast like things have been taking off recently. Thank you so much. Share it with your friends if you like it. Um, it's been, uh, you know, just really cool. And that word of mouth is why it's grown. We've heard from so many people that they've heard about it from their sister or their friend. Um, and then they've been sending emails. And so, hell yeah, we love you all. It's amazing that you're on this journey with us. Thank you. And subscribe to because sometimes we make random podcast drops on Friday with Sexy Science. And if you hit the subscribe button, you get our first editions of the podcast. <laughs> Every once in a while, we make a mistake on there. And I actually made a Freudian slip last Friday. Where yeah. I said that Drew Drew Holman won Western States in 2021. He, in fact, did not win. He got third, but he won all of our hearts. And that was so salient to me that I was like, I said with confidence, I was like, Drew won Western yes. States. And then I went on and he won all of our hearts. He also won, a, I would say, a free Starbucks dark roast because his creatinine kinase levels were so high, as we were mentioning um, post-race, that he just was peeing Starbucks dark roast in the, in the med tent. <laughs> yeah. So if you subscribe, you get our first edition. Um, yeah. And often like there will be jokes that after the fact we realize we should take out um so it's actually yeah. usually a family argument i'm like david we must remove that <laughs> and you're like but the listeners should know and i'm like i don't know we must remove that and it's kind of like a five to ten minute back and forth well that's the cool thing about podcasts is that i think in some way in fact i was telling um an athlete that's you know getting all this attention now and is going to be on a bunch of podcasts like they were asking okay should i go with notes or like that I'm like try to be as unfiltered as possible because i think that that's where a lot of the magic happens in in this medium in particular is that it comes in and it floats away into the ether. And like, you know, if you ask me about whatever was on podcast podcast episode 51, I'd be like, I have no clue. I don't never need to think about it again. Hopefully, whatever we said is might have helped one person, but otherwise it just kind of floats in and out. And what they're left with is how we made them feel, which is I want them to feel those cuddle transmitted diseases. I was gonna say the same thing. Oh, really? Yes. We're on the same freaking page. Um, yeah, and also a good good time to promote Whoop. So Whoop generously sponsored this podcast. Join.whoop.com slash swap SWAP with offer code swap SWAP at checkout. You get an absolute like 
metric crap ton off uh, if you do that. Uh, they've been great. And I mean, you've been learning so much. I, it's been fascinating to see like what happens in the context of a medical situation, like what you're going through. Yeah, actually, it's really interesting. You know, I've had this this fluctuating heart pain. And last week I was like, yeah, my heart hurts a little yeah. bit. And actually Wednesday, all of a sudden my heart pain went away. And I was like, what happened? I don't know, <laughs> but it's gone. This is great. And I had probably like four or five days without heart pain. It's since come back a little bit. And it's even on my right side, which is weird. Who knows? What a mystery. <laughs> maybe but, I have two hearts. Maybe yeah, that's maybe. The... But my whoop data all of a sudden got better during yeah. that time period. And it was interesting to see how like how I was feeling. It was there was like a one day lag. So I was feeling better one day. And then, you know, like a day or two later, it would appear as a positive change on my yeah. whoop after my whoop was suffering a severe case of piece of shititis. It was like, <laughs> Megan, what are you doing to your body? And just interesting to see that happen. And I think, you know, I see that on an individual level. Like I feel like at this point, I know my body pretty well through yeah. whoop, but also interesting to see the collective data that we've gathered through coaching and through swap about some of these metrics that relate to HRV. And we've talked about them before, including like sleep, alcohol, some of these other metrics. Yeah. And my big thing that I've learned is I don't read too much into an in individual athlete's day. Like that, those things might matter if it's a precipitous drop, like through the floor, you know, 30 to 50% off baseline um, when it comes to HRV. What I worry much more is like these long-term trends. Like I wish we had whoop the whole time you were going through the hard things. I think we would have probably noticed it sooner. Um, so, you know, because it, because it came off as soon as it was giving us like I was gonna say, super I, piece of shit. I went through like four days where it was like absolutely down in the dumps and I was training pretty well at this point. I was like, I don't want to yeah. say that. And that's why, that's why I was And off. recently we've seen some, you know, some athletes have gotten pregnant and their numbers have changed remarkably. And there's a lot of interesting science on that, um, how that might change. So there's a lot cool, a lot of cool information to learn there. Um, so Get, get whoop if you like it. Um, so speaking of how you feel, I wanted to take a step back real quick and talk about protein. So we, we get questions on this a lot, and it's something I have noticed a really big change in myself. So if you listen to the podcast, you remember I had a motivation crisis um, the other week. I was on a long run and just like, I don't want to be here. My body, and, and a lot of that I think stemmed from my body just not feeling good. And so after that, I was like, I need to change something. I need to change everything. <laughs> I need to just make make it happen. And so all I did really as an intervention at the time was I added um, one big scoop of protein midday. Um, so one additional big scoop of like 35 grams of protein. And pretty suddenly over the course of a few days, my body started to shift and I have been feeling so much better. Um, obviously this is an extreme N equals one, but we've talked a lot about the science of protein on here. We're going to delve into a little bit more now. If you are feeling achy, if you are feeling low motivation, if you are feeling like your strength is decreasing, I think it's something to really think about focusing on. It has made a big difference for me. And we've seen it make a big difference for athletes in everything from their performance to like their biomarkers to like what we see on inside tracker. I agree wholeheartedly on this one. When athletes come to me and they're having some sort of ailment or something is wrong, I have this like checklist of questions that I yeah. naturally go through my head and how how much protein are you consuming and have you changed your protein intake is often one of the first <laughs> questions. And usually actually that does trigger a response like, yes, or I need to consume more protein. And then of course I ask other questions as well, but throw some protein on it is one of my yeah. favorite expressions as a coach, because I really do see it impact recovery adaptation, even like what you're talking about in terms of feeling good, even yeah. mentally feeling good. Sometimes so I think physically feeling good and mentally feeling good go hand in hand. That being said, actually, as we talked about in the last podcast on the <laughs> microbiome discussion, David, you are exceedingly sensitive to the placebo effect. Yeah. And I love it. Like it's part of your like innate qualities as a human where you're just like optimistic. You're like this intervention I'm making, it's working. <laughs> I feel it. But as a follow-up to that story, actually, David talked about switching. Um, he was taking a, a probiotic and you switched and you're like, it's made my stomach all oh, better. No. 
So you said that on Tuesday. Yeah. I come home on Wednesday from the co-working space and you're curled up in the couch and you're like, Megan, I deserved this. My <laughs> stomach is bad again. And it was after taking the good probiotic. After, after a workout. Yeah. I, uh, I do, I do realize that that being said with the protein, um, there's been a shift in my heart rate too. Like my heart rate is lower at the, at faster paces. So you have data. I have some, I have enough N equals one data to give me uh, some confidence, but also my background might be different than others. And this is where this gets so complicated. So obviously we're touching a little bit on microbiome when we talk about what happens to my stomach. So clearly I might be digesting a smaller amount or something interesting might be going on in my body. Also, I used to be a football player that was like a living on protein shakes. So when I was in high school, I would try to have over 200 grams of protein every day. Often That's a lot of protein. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got up to like, you know, I was a pure muscle bound guy. Like I was very strong, um, like abnormally fire hydrant shaped. Um, I was going to say your neck was just storing all that protein in one yes. space. Um, so true. And um, that that maybe perhaps could have changed how my body interacts with this over time. Like maybe I need a little bit more in some ways because of my past behavior, which was extreme when I was a football player. Um, who knows? It just gets back to like paying attention to your individual variation can be super key. And on that topic, a fascinating 1985 study I just came across was in the Journal of Applied Physiology. It's one of the seminal studies in exercise physiology. Um, and it just shows how different everyone is. This study took 24 sedentary men and it gave them 45 minutes of exercise at 70% of their VO2 max. So easy, easy, moderate four times per week for six weeks. It control. So this controlled for their VO2 max, their past training. And what happened was that those 24 men, their uh, subsequent changes were a complete scatter plot independent of any of the original initial conditions. So what this is saying is that Every individual has a purely unique response to interventions, particularly as it relates to training, but probably also any variable we track out. So we're trying to draw some broad-based conclusions. And in fact, it might be really hard to impossible, much like on the menstrual cycle discussion we had. I think this is an incredible study. And I think it, it really gets at the crux of exercise physiology and at the crux of science yeah, too. Like this is, not, this is not a problem that's just limited to exercise physiology. It's a problem that's limited across all the scientific fields. And also too, it's only in 24 men. Yeah. So like maybe those scatter plots would start to correlate, would start to like coalesce around a single finding once we start expanding that out to 100, well, 200, 1,000 different men. And that's a great follow-up on the menstrual cycle discussion from the other week. So as we were talking about that, we were like, oh, this study that was done on 28 women says that there is no performance change. But on in WHOOP data, which they did a study with 55,000 participants, they saw pretty, you know, uh, like significant changes in HRV in, in recovery metrics. And the point gets to be like, okay, well, if we did the performance study in 55,000 women, would that start to smooth over some of the inter individual vari variation? question, it, it'll always be open for discussion. And it gets back to like, while, whenever we give recommendations, make sure you're like, okay, does this pass my bullshit test for myself? Um, so always give it a bullshit test, even as we give you scientific data. I love that you're bringing that point up. And I actually, as I start to coach athletes, I establish that relationship and that concept very early on. Like, hey, you know your body best. <laughs> I want your feedback on what you think works and what you think doesn't work. Because actually that is like some of the most important feedback in a coaching relationship yeah. because they've had 20, 30, 40, 50 years to understand their body. And I'm coming in on day one. So like I can make these suggestions, but it has to be in the context 
in the context but of that bodily understanding. That's also filtered through our pre our pre biases, which I have so very many of. Um, I am just a a, a bias sustained organism at this point um, with myself. With athletes, I'm extremely objective, and then it's that's where it starts to get really complicated. Um, so you know, back to protein. I think that it really is that insurance if you feel achy or tired. Um, there's a 2014 review in Applied Physiology, Nutrition, and Metabolism that went into this. I think this, the hard part about protein is I, it's like I used to think about it in high school or hypertrophy, where you're trying. Is that how you say that word? Yeah, yeah. It is. Okay. I don't know. I say it hypertrophy. I don't think okay. it actually. I think there's you kind of you kind of rolled through that hypertrophy. You're, you're sounding, I don't think it matters. You're sounding much better. Maybe if I say it fast enough. It'll all work out. I don't know. I read too many books to be the person that you should uh, go to for pronunciation, not me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you're not hearing them out loud. Um, but yeah, so that means muscle growth, right? Like that's often how it's conceived. Um, but it's so much more than that and how it interacts with endurance training. And, um, you know, what we've seen as, as coaches is that over time, particularly depending on background, it can make a massive difference. And I think what I want to go into next, and as we were talking about this topic, I was like, I would love to do a deep dive on this, actually, because I'm doing a deep dive on it for some of the lifestyle medicine research that I'm doing at Stanford, is there are so many different types of protein sources out there. Like, how do we choose? What's the gold standard? What's best? And what are all the differences associated with those? And like, really going into the individual nuances of like, you know, are you a vegan? Are you a vegetarian? Like, what are your different like allergy profiles? So do you want to go through that and kind of break down the different protein sources? As we talk about this, I think there's a lot of, first of all, this is yeah. like a religion to people and we yes. are stepping into a like indoctr- indoctrinated system and we fully understand that. And we also fully understand that we may have biases associated with this too. But on that topic, we actually are a big proponent of protein powders yeah. and protein supplementation and not everyone is, and that's okay. I think one of the big reasons we are fans of that is because so often we see that if athletes don't do that, yeah. it's exceedingly challenging to get that through the diet. Like yeah. I think there are diets and there are certain nutrition approaches where you can get all your nutrition through food alone, but it's so hard. Yeah. And for athletes that have busy lives, for athletes that are out there doing busy things, for athletes that are like, I don't know, doing the run and then having to go to the grocery store and go back home, like having a protein shake can fit that need quite well. And it standardizes things pretty darn well. Like that's the big thing for me is like by adding just a, a scoop of protein at 2 p.m. It gave me this understanding of, okay, I'm actually getting what I need for recovery now rather than maybe snacking on something that isn't getting it to my body as directly. Um, but perhaps that gets back to my microbiome where I have trouble absorbing real foods as much or, or something random like that. Um, so let's break down these these protein sources right now. I think um, it's super helpful for athletes to make these decisions for themselves. And let's start with the framework too of breaking it down by animal-based animal-based protein supplementation and plant-based protein awesome. supplementation. So I think it's kind of just a good framework for thinking about it. Though there's tons of frameworks in which you can <laughs> think about this. So on the animal-based side, and we'll start. This is just from the the standpoint of protein powders. Again, so many different protein sources out there. Um, the three that I think about most in terms of animal-based are whey, um, casein, and collagen. And we'll just go through whey and casein because collagen is a little bit of the wild west right now <laughs> in terms of supplementation. And we should actually do just a full breakdown of collagen, the benefits, the pros, the cons. What are the forms of collagen that we think are the best? Yeah. And one of the most interesting things about collagen, which I think actually um, works well for this conversation, is that some of the theories for why collagen sees some changes in clinical trials is because it's just a protein source, right? You're just adding a little bit more protein. And that might be some of the some of the benefits that are being seen, though it's it's variable. So okay, let's get let's get to it. So whey is the first big one, right? Like that's you told me that's the gold standard. It was largely considered the gold standard in a lot of supplementation studies. So the gold standard in terms of looking at recovery adaptation 
adaptation, muscle hypertrophy in specific. But that being said, we've made a lot of advances in plant proteins. And, you know, the the way-based studies have been done for years, yeah. long before we had a lot of the new plant-based protein supplementation. So we'll go into whey. So whey actually, it's really interesting. It has a fantastic amino acid profile. Yeah. Like one of the benefits of be, this being an animal-derived protein source is the idea that it comes with all the essential amino acids. Yeah. And that might be the main thing we're seeing in protein with athletes is that when you get all of these amino acids, you're having the building blocks you need for adaptation and recovery. Like, um, you know, may, perhaps if you just supplemented amino acids, some of these benefits would happen anyway. Um, who knows what exactly it is? It could even be a subset of the amino acids. It gets back to some of the difficulty of actually teasing out what the cause and effect with these really complex variables. And that may depend on the individual too. Yeah. And it probably does, in fact. And I think that's another important variable here. Actually, I was interested in how I was like, okay, like I understand the idea of whey protein, but like what even is <laughs> and how is it made? And then I started going into it and I was yeah. like, actually, wait, I really don't want to know how the sausage is made. But essentially, I'm going to tell you. Uh, so, essentially, so you're going to know. Yeah, exactly. Hey, everyone, here's some sausages. This is, how it, this is how it's made. So you take milk and then you put in a curdling agent. And from there, actually, the milk naturally separates into solids and liquids. And the liquids that get left behind are the whey. Okay. Um, and then you can do a couple of different things with whey. So there's whey concentrate, which is basically just that whey. So the whey concentrate is like the most basic form of whey. It contains proteins, the fats, um, and sugars in the form of lactose. So if people are lactose intolerant or struggle with milk sensitivity, whey concentrate actually probably not fantastic for the stomach for yeah. those individuals and also not great for inflammation too. So the thing about having you know, a milk intolerance or milk sensitivity is when you have a milk product, you're going to have some natural inflammation yeah. in your body. And that's not great for recovery, for adaptation, for, for muscle building, any of that. Yeah, lots of parts. I I, th I was thinking back to the last time I tried this type of intervention was like in college before we even met um, when I was a more of a cyclist, um, but also running. And um, I did a ton of whey protein. Um, and I noticed my body just felt so poor. And I realized at the time, it's like, okay, this is much more complicated. And I went back to a, stop that. Um, and so I think for me, what I might be sensing is that I am sensitive to that sort of thing. Like it's not productive for my body that uh, if the farts don't come out, they're like kind of staying in and I'm just like <laughs> bloated. It's not good. There's it's not a good situation. You're relating to, you're, you're just waiting to release a drum symphony is what you're saying of, of farts. Yeah, yeah. Emphasis on way and waiting. <laughs> so not good. Um, actually for me though, I've, I have historically have had great success with whey. So again, it em emphasizes the idea that this is all a very individual approach. The other two forms of, of whey are substantially more broken down and also more processed and as a result are more costly. But again, they can have various benefits for people. So whey isolate is the next um, form. So that's what happens when you remove the fat and sugar from whey. That is a little bit more beneficial for people who have lactose intolerance because you're essentially removing a lot of that lactose. Mm -hmm. That being said, if you have a milk sensitivity, I've still seen people that are sensitive to whey isolate and may have some of that bloating that you've described. Yeah. Um, the other thing though, is, is that as you're breaking down the way, the question starts to become is, is like, are you naturally breaking down the amino acids? Mm -hmm. And what is that doing to your body in terms of your ability to absorb them versus your ability to actually like process these broken down amino acids? And I think it's hard to know. And I think it's, it yeah. really depends on the quality of the supplement. So and, and yeah, the, the quality is a big problem here because what you're actually getting can be a lot different. Um, not only is there the additives that goes into most of these proteins that um, you know, you need to trust the company. Uh, the other big thing is you look at some of the ways and they have a ton of cholesterol yes. in some of them. It, yes. it varies. And the idea being like, if you're sensitive to that, that might not be productive. Uh, if you're not, it might be actually good. It might be a precursor to some hormonal development. It, it's, it, it gets highly individually variable with that. Um, and honestly, it's kind of why I've gone away from way over time. It's just like, there's a lot going on there. Um, 
you know, we have some issues with it, it might not necessarily be the best option anymore. That's true. And then the final point of way, so the, the other um, form of way is way hydrosylate, and that's one step more broken down. So as a result, because it takes another step of processing, also more costly. Um, but then again, you get back to that question of is like, how, how broken down is too broken down? Like, is this actually better for the body to absorb? And again, it's probably an N equals one equation. And then casein is the other yeah. form. So as I was talking about how the sausage was being made <laughs> of the milk being split into the solid and liquid components, casein is actually the solid components. And okay. then you, you grind that down into a powder and that's what forms the supplementation. Again, people who are lactose intolerant, hard time processing casein, it's actually absorbed. So it's digested slower. So sometimes yeah. people like it before bed because it helps keep them full overnight. Um, but it can also feel a little bit heavy in the stomach if For had sure. midday. So again, just really an individual thing. Yeah. And I, it's just kind of, um, interesting to think about how this relates on a broad scale to like climate change. I was going to say, like that. that's, that's the big thing about animal-based um, protein powders is they take a lot of greenhouse, like they release a lot of greenhouse gases in their production. Like yeah. you think about the methane from the cows that it takes to, to produce these things. And then also the methane from David that it, <laughs> that it, of the, of the person consuming these things. And it's, it's costly. My, my climate change impact is outsized uh, for, for my, uh, the amount of gases in my body. Yeah. It's really, it's really, um, I think something that's important to think about, just like the sustainability of these things, especially if we're doing them for our entire lives. Um, and I mean, that's contrasted perhaps a little bit by plant-based, though, you know, all of this consumption is causing some climate effects. So don't don't get too weighed. Don't let that be what drives your decision. Make sure you're coming from a health place first, uh, particularly, you know, because you get one shot with your youth and with your body. So make sure it counts. And one of the initial challenges with plant-based protein powders was the idea that oftentimes these plant-based protein powders couldn't contain all the essential amino acids. Yeah. But companies have actually gotten around that by one combining different protein sources. So I know um, there's different protein powders that mix protein sources together. Yeah. There are so many different types of plant proteins. There's like sunflower, pea, spirulina, even blue-green algae, which is a fantastic <laughs> source of protein. Like how did we how did we figure that out? Isn't that kind of a wild <laughs> like invention of, of humans that we figured out that blue-green algae has a lot of protein? I'm into it. I'm more into the green algae though. I think the blue algae is a little bit bitter, just not a fan. I feel I feel in the blue algae vibes. You're team green, I'm team blue. <laughs> but that's where uh Vega comes in. So Vega mm -hmm. is pea, pea protein. I think there's alfalfa protein, pumpkin seed protein, um, maybe a little bit of rice protein. I forget. Um, but the idea being that it mixes those so that you get the full amino acid profile. And then a lot of those plant-based sources also add in BCAAs as well and digestive enzymes to help break down the proteins. So we've come a long way with what we can do yeah. with plants. It's I'm, I'm, my mind is always blown by like the plant the plant based products that we have and how it approximates food yeah. for better or worse. I know we once went out. I think it was the Impossible Burger that we ordered, <laughs> and the Impossible Burger, which is a plant based burger, was bleeding. Yeah. And okay, I love meat. Like I love I love a good juicy burger. But when the plants started to bleed, I was like, <laughs> I don't know about this. This I, is weird. I need my plants to bleed. I want my plants to scream. <laughs> I want them to say no, don't. Eat. Then I'll know that we've truly had advances in science. <laughs> I think I think they created the bleeding through beets. Was that how it happens? I I was looking at the uh, the ingredients. I haven't read about it though, so I don't want to I don't want to speak. But it makes sense. Ble beets do make us look like we bleed from various orifices. So <laughs> perhaps they do it for plants too. And then the final note on proteins is just the concept of soy protein. So soy has received a bad rap, I feel like, over the years because soy naturally contains phytoestrogens, yeah. which are not themselves a direct estrogen, but they have estrogen-like properties in the cell. And so a long time ago, people were like, oh, maybe this give men, gives men boobs. Maybe this has like an <laughs> estrogenic effect on men. And the newer studies are really showing that it takes a metric 
truckload of soy <laughs> to have that effect. That's a scientific yeah, the metric that's, what, that's what they say in studies. A, a metric truckload. That's so perfect. It's pulled direct from the abstract, but it takes a lot of soy to have that impact on men. And so I think it's totally fine for men to have soy protein and yeah. even things like tofu, like all those things, soy burgers, totally fine. But that being said, I feel like for athletes that are looking to grasp that like 0.0005%, yeah. there are so many other protein powders out there that if you're consuming this every day, it's like, I don't know, for me personally, it'd be like, why take that risk? Yeah, especially when there's so many great options nowadays. So we mentioned it before, I really like Vega. It tastes pretty good. Um, if you are with a protein company and you want to reach out to us and tell us why your your thing is the best, let us know. Um, we'll give you a one free plug. Uh, yes, not we, love, we love our listeners and we're just trying to help. Um, but th you know, this makes a big difference. So what I've been saying a lot to athletes and logs is, you know, we've done in the past, this general 100 plus gram recommendation, want to work with a nutritionist. Um, but if you are having this chronic achiness, um, if you're feeling sore in unexplained ways, and if you get a lot of muscle injuries, like if you're just finding like yourself pulling muscles and things like that, you this can make a big difference. Um, so one more story from my past that I think is a little bit relevant here. Um, so when I was a sophomore in high school, um, I was constantly getting muscle pulls. So I was, a, I was a good athlete, but I kept straining my hamstrings, my quads, everything. And I, at the time, I was just like, I guess I'm just super injury prone. This is really weird. Um, and then I didn't know anything about this stuff at the time, but I heard someone told me, oh, you should eat tuna fish. So I started adding two cans of tuna fish each day, just eating it plain out of a bowl, oh, sometimes with ketchup. Oh my God. Oh, okay. You redeemed yourself a little bit there, but just a little bit. Wait, wait, no, no. Just with ketchup mixed in. Does that redeem it a little bit? I mean, it's better than just plain tuna. Okay. <laughs> so I hope you put cheese or something. This on was, this was uh, pre-protein powder, pre-before I figured out. So my protein powder was tuna um, and all those problems went away. Um, and, you know, clearly there, that was an obvious situation where I was not getting enough protein. I was probably grossly underestimating what I needed. Um, and you don't want to go too high. That causes a bunch of issues. Um, like I think what I did after that probably was the opposite of what's good, especially with like ammonia byproducts and things that can hurt endurance performance. I was, I was just going to say the same thing. I can see David, like sophomore, sophomore in high school, David eating two cans of protein and then sitting there and being like, well, if two cans of protein <laughs> work, should I add 16? Would that yeah, yeah. really do the trick? And the answer is no. Like there is a, a level of protein in which like it becomes actually toxic. Yeah. To two, I put everything to the fourth power. So two to the fourth. Um, oh, look if, at you. If, if one bonus, if like, so right now I'm having two protein shakes. I guess I need to have 16, maybe. We'll see. Maybe I should do to the eighth power now since I'm a little bit older. I need that benefit. Um, but yeah, like I think it's a it's the insurance policy. So right now, to just take a step back, be like, am I more sore than I should be? Um, if so, give this a try just with a gentle uh, stimulus. I mean, the reason I love a protein shake in particular um, is because one, like you still get to enjoy all the delicious foods in the world um, around it. You know, it's just an addition to what you're already doing. Um, and, you know, so Vega will have 30 grams of protein, have a bunch of anti-inflammatory stuff. It'll even have some digestive enzymes. And then, um, you know, it's like not hugely uh, filling. Like I still get to eat my favorite dinner and all that fun stuff around it. And last point on this topic, in addition to not consuming 64 protein yes. shakes, is the idea of make it delicious too. Yes. So like our protein is truly a celebration. Like I think back to you as a sophomore in high school, and clearly there was like some transactional portion to that. To that, There was some disordered behavior there, let's be honest. Just yeah. to the tuna there. And it's like, make it delicious. Like I know I come in these days from a hike and I'm like so excited to have protein cereal yeah. and like try to find that excitement with protein. Like you can get creative. You can make it 
delicious. Actually, the Vega mocha flavor yeah. is really good in smoothies because oh. it kind of has that like frappuccino sort of effect to yeah. it. So definitely ways you can make it taste. And it doesn't have to be protein powders too. It can be other things. This is just kind of, um, you know, a broad-based insurance policy. I was just thinking with the tuna, doesn't tuna have a lot of mercury? It does. Yeah, that's going to say don't do that either from a mercury perspective. Oh, no. Perspective. I'm probably like, you know, a t- ticking time bomb over here. Actually, the other day on the ticking time bomb, uh, you know, notification, I was reading about skin cancer for a coming article, and uh, I saw that there were apps to scan your moles with. So I scanned this big bowl that I have on my stomach. Um, and it was telling me it was like 95% concerning, which not good. Um, not a, not a statistics expert, but I was very worried about. Um, and then that night I scanned the same mole in a slightly different room and it came back 99% not concerning. So, uh, you know, all this stuff, all of science, all of uh, technology, a bit up in the air. I don't think we know everything. But let's dive into some extremely cool science. And also to me, I think this is science that like we can all get behind. Okay, yeah, yeah. So this is our science study of the week. I think we should have a segment on here. I'm just thinking about this for the first time. A science study of the week segment. How should cool it be, that be in running or general things? Anything. Okay, I yeah. love it. Let's do it. But, I'm all in. Okay, so this one, I I get behind this one. This is this this will be titled "Big Cookie Energy," <laughs> not in a journal, but like in what happens after the journal. Yeah. So this was a randomized control trial involving medical students and cookies. And as soon as I read that, I was like sold. Yeah, I also think this is really interesting on how you motivate behavior. So this was a 2018 study in the Medical Education Journal, and it is titled "Availability of Cookies During an Academic Court Session: Effects Evaluation of Teaching." What a perfect title! And they should add a colon to that and just say big cookie. <laughs> <laughs> Always want to add some colons. Um, so this was an emer- in an emergency medicine course that had 118 students. They were allocated into 20 subgroups, 10 of which had access to 500 grams of chocolate cookies and 10 of which did not. So uh, basically, and how much? 500 grams. So a kilogram is- It's like point, almost a pound, right? 2.2 pounds, I think, is in a kilogram. So that's like over a pound of cookies. That's a lot of cookies to have access to. I'm a fan. I'm a dream. This is this is a- this <laughs> You've is, had a dream, I, and it's these cookies. I am a dream. That's what I <laughs> profoundly said. No, but I feel like, I mean, designing a randomized control trials with cookies, big kudos. It's actually, it's a good study design, to be honest with you. Yeah. And the statistics behind the study were, were quality too. Yeah, it's interesting to think about your relationship with cookies. So I love Megan's cookies. She makes the greatest cookies of all time. And I've been like poking her, Megan, make more cookies because I go through them pretty fast because I, they're actually my, they're my breakfast. It, this is why you should only listen to my nutrition so much. Uh, they're my breakfast of choice between hard work, before hard workouts. Um, and so she does, and she's like, David, you need to control where these cookies are and how like intake for, for not for me, but for you, for Megan, um, because you have no cookie off switch yes. and it'll just be like it, 45 cookies gone. It's actually a problem in our relationship. So you left me you left me a post-it note on Sunday that just said, me love cookies, and then a winky face because the cookies were gone and you wanted me to restock your your, yeah. your drawer. And the problem though is, is that I eat for like every one cookie you eat, I eat seven cookies. <laughs> and so like I eat like 85% of the cookie batch and I'm like, David, this is not great and for me. We're huge fans of eating all the cookies. It's yeah, just but like, perhaps like seven in four hours is not great well, yeah, for the body. If it, especially if it replaces like, protein or whatever like no you know other things um you know we want to diversify our palate not eat 45 cookies every single day 45 cookies every other day might be great um big big uh cookie positivity is demonstrated here at the swap podcast um but the fascinating thing about the study is the teachers got significantly better scores not just on their teaching behavior but also on their course materials like 
And they were all using, it was the same teachers using the same materials, doing the same lesson. Um, all that changed was cookie availability. And how wild is that? I mean, it's, it's actually, I, I've seen that before. I've been a TA and I'm always bringing in cookies whenever I do presentations. And I think part of that is presentation anxiety. I'm like, oh, well, maybe they won't listen to me stutter through the first like 90 seconds oh, no. of this presentation or not stutter, but just like, you know, yeah. struggle to get through the first 90 seconds of this presentation because they're enjoying their delicious cookies that I made. <laughs> and perhaps because of my baking skills, they'll be dead by the end of this like you know what i mean like i'm not a great baker so who knows what happens to those cookies bullshit you are forbidden from ever cutting yourself down like that again your cookies make angels sing um i you know like we were talking about the fertility journey we are not pregnant now but i feel like we could get pregnant just from introducing those cookies into a womb it's just like (laughs) these create life they're magical actually i ordered i sent you an amazon link yesterday i ordered something called pre-seed which is a lubricant (laughs) that helps i don't know i think it helps the sperm swim because of the pH quality of Mine the lubricant. Help too. So I don't know. I feel like we could get pregnant by just like shoving some cookies up there, <laughs> throwing some pre-seed on it. We're just going to miracle grow these cookies into babies. And maybe this is like the next human life. Form. Instead of greasing the pan, you pre-seed the pan. Yeah, exactly. Um, I actually had a major problem with that product because it has a baby on the cover of a lubricant uh, container. That is not sexy. Like, what are we supposed to do with this baby? Like, in no other place are we like, okay, this thing that might happen if you're lucky in like 10 months is what is on the container, right? Like, I I don't think that's okay. I don't, I don't recommend it. I think uh, everything involving sex should have uh, more arousing things on it than a baby. It should have me in a grump suit with stains <laughs> on the cover. And that's that's what would happen. Just a close-up of the stains. Yeah, exactly. 100%. So uh, th- this study is really interesting for a number of reasons. And I-, I think one of the more interesting ones is how we evaluate people. So Often true. we're evaluating yeah. people based on things that uh, you know, our cognitive biases that we don't even understand we're measuring for. And so this doesn't just apply to teachers. This applies to anyone that's doing any sort of performance review. What is the version of cookies? Like this saccharine sweet thing that might be present, but not changing the actual consumption of like material or productivity or what you're doing. So another uh, I think nail in the coffin of things like performance reviews, which have pretty weak science. Like, don't judge yourself based on these, um, you know, single moment in time evaluations of you, because they're taking in a lot of bias, both explicit and implicit, that um, can be really negative. It can be things like cookies. It can also be things like race or gender that are extremely evil. So, you know, watch that. And I love the idea that you brought up the concept of cognitive bias, because we could truly just play Mad Libs with one word before bias and insert that next to like what happens across almost every like performance evaluation, job review, et cetera. I actually just had a conversation with an athlete that applied for their dream job and didn't get it. And I've been on the the hiring end recently. And it's actually truly horrifying. And I'm going back to the concept of how the sausage gets made, (laughs) being on the hiring end and seeing what happens in terms of bias, like whether this applicant has a parent who's X, Y, and or this mm-hmm. applicant has some association to X, Y, and Z, or all of the different decision trees that happen in this interview process. And like, we are turning away fantastic candidates. Yeah. And it's like, there's nothing we can do about it just because like, you know, and of course the candidate we're going to hire is fantastic, but just because you applied to a job and didn't get it does yeah. not mean you are not a fantastic oh, yeah. candidate. Oh my God. Keep, keep applying, keep shooting your shot. I've read about um, some of these uh, approaches now are taking off college um, because it introduces so much bias into the system in ways that isn't actually indicative of ability or potential. Um, so yeah, try to try to remove, I never thought I would say this, but remove the metaphorical cookies from your evaluations of things. Um, 
Cookies matter. Cookies are the best. But Cookie Monster is not the best teacher in the whole world. Uh, one of the better teachers, but not the greatest. And that's an important distinction to remember. Okay. Important distinction, though, is like remove them from the evaluation process, but keep giving, giving yes, cookies. Yes. I think giving the gift of cookies is something that's awesome. You just don't have to be evaluated on it. <laughs> cookies uh, in any orifice you choose. Um, okay. So big training discussion. Uh, this is on a it was motivated by um, a fascinating tweet from Sabrina Little. Follow her on Twitter. Um, she's brilliant. She's a philosopher in addition to being a world-class athlete. And she just wrote, training is a crockpot, not a microwave. Uh, and it gets back to this idea of long-term growth. So if you haven't listened to the Bonus Fatigue Resistance podcast on Friday, go back and listen to that. It is, I think, maybe our deepest dive into training theory. People uh, have told us it's their favorite. Personally, it's the one I'm most proud of because that was that's challenging. A lot of those co topics are really controversial if you're in the middle of this field, and I hope we manage that in a uh, in a solid way. But one of the things that we didn't talk about too much on there is how long-term growth fits into these variables, and how training actually is this crockpot that you really need to set on low and keep on low for as long as you possibly can. Okay, I appreciate Sabrina Little here. Actually, I appreciate Sabrina Little across a lot of contexts, yes. but I really I really appreciate this tweet, and I think I like it a lot because. We've said stew. This has been like a running joke <laughs> through podcasts. We've said stew probably on the last eight podcasts. Yeah. And when I think about crockpot, I think about a delicious stew, or in the case of my cooking, a somewhat questionable <laughs> stew, but still a stew nonetheless. And yeah. I think it, I love the idea of just putting together these training variables, stacking consistency like in a crockpot and seeing what happens over time. And it can be so hard. So we're going to get into the science in a second, but first thinking about the emotional biases we might have, the emotional feelings we might have. Sarah Hall had another great tweet. Um, when you have success, there's a temptation to change how you do things, to be more like the people you see at that level. Keep being you and doing the things that got you there. Um, and that, that gets the idea that whenever you're an athlete, you're um, it's like me th thinking about protein. It's like whatever is most recent is the thing that you are thinking about most. Um, but that is not how the body works. That is not how these processes work. It's not how fatigue resistance works. Um, and that actually is fascinating in the context of coaching. In, in most of our tough experiences, we're not after with with especially with elite athletes, are not after the athlete has their poor race on the big stage. It's after the athlete has their breakthrough race on the big stage. And then they see, why am I not running 120 miles a week or doing what, you know, Jim Walmsley or Courtney Walter are doing? Like, why am I a unique individual in, you know, struggling with that a little bit, which I understand. Um, but it gets to the fact that like, no, we're not the microwave. We are the crockpot. And I think that point is actually an interesting one too, because like, you know, once you have this breakthrough, inherently you're going to have more people in your head. Yeah. Like more people are going to be following your journey. More people are going to be invested, but also more people are going to be telling you their opinions. Yeah. And I think it becomes a really important time to like take that feedback, but also take it through the lens of like, what have I done for myself that has worked up to this point. Yeah. And zooming out is so hard to do in our own brains. And this is where, um, you know, thinking about the physiology can actually be so helpful because physiology doesn't work on the timescales our brain does. And I think it's a constant theme in the podcast is like our brain might be able to think on a training cycle level if it's lucky, you know, like 12 or 16 weeks or something. Um, but our bodies are so zoomed out. So like Megan going through her heart things right now, yeah, it feels a little bit like the end of the world in the moment. And, you know, who knows what the future holds, but like zooming out enough, like, I bet we're looking back in three years and you're like, wow, that reset actually fueled some remarkable things. And it might get back to some of these physiological concepts we're about to talk about. So one of the things people were most interested by, it was a passing reference on the fatigue resistance podcast on muscle fiber typology, where we mentioned faster twitch versus slower twitch. How people are like, how do I measure where I am? Um, 
That's a fascinating question. Uh, unless you have a biopsy lab present, it's very difficult to do. And we're going to get into, there's some complications beyond just where you're at right now to where you might be going or where you came from. There's a lot of complications and nuances to this. And I think that's what makes this particular part of science so sexy, actually. Yes. It's because, and also the idea too, that it's ambiguous and we just don't know. But I think actually you just talked about the fast and slow twitch muscle fibers. And to layer another element of complexity in there is the idea that there's intermediate fibers <laughs> in there too. And as we have this discussion, the real crux of the discussion is the idea that we don't know if type if well, it's this highly debated. Yes. I'm waiting into I'm waiting into a stew of mess. No, right in now. that pause that you had, there's a huge amount of scientific data that you're wading through in your head to be like, okay, how do I exactly do I say this? Because we do have physiologists listening that work in this exact field in, in, on any of these topics, so it gets a little bit complicated. Um, but that's the hard part: is where like what? How much is genetic baseline? And how much can that change from baseline? Um, there's a general overarching physiological theory that mo for the most part, you can change how muscle fibers behave or are recruited, but not their actual composition. That is being challenged by some of the studies we're going to mention today. The problem is how do you measure over 10, 20 year time scales in a study? Answer is you don't really, unless you're doing some very unique things. Um, so all that said, we're, we're delving into an interesting spot. But if you want to mention it, just to take a step back, if you want to estimate where you're at, the basic general way to do it is looking at the offset between your longer distance races and your shorter distance races in terms of predictions. You can do that through any chart. Our particular way of doing it on the team and testing is we do a speed endurance test, which is usually eight by 30 seconds fast with equal jog recovery. Every SWAP athlete will probably recognize this from someplace in their training log. Sorry to tell you, we weren't testing you at the time. Um, and then a lactate threshold test, which is usually a 20 to 30 minute moderately hard effort, um, which has a number of good benefits. But if you take those two tests and ballpark the overarching um, you know, average pace on the tempo versus peak speeds on the uh, 30 seconds fast, you can find the offset determining your predisposition. So 20% is normal. If your offset is greater than that, uh, you might be a faster twitch athlete. So if you're going faster on the short strides, um, and if it's closer and more compressed than that, you might be a slower twitch athlete. Though there's high variance, don't rely on those exact numbers. Think about your history, most of all. And these are specific workouts. And I can already see actually athletes I coach starting to wonder, like, did I do these workouts, right? How yeah. is Megan judging? How is Megan evaluating me? And the answer is, Actually, you can do it through a lot of other ways too. So if you haven't done these workouts, don't worry about it. Racing is actually one great proxy yeah. for breaking this down as well. So you can look at an athlete's 10K performance and see how it relates to their half marathon performance or marathon performance. And slow twitch athletes generally progress very well from the 5K to the half marathon to the marathon yeah. to the point that like their prediction, if you plugged in a 5K in the prediction calculator, they would actually probably be right on par or even faster in their half marathon or marathon efforts. Whereas if faster twitch athlete, if you plug that into the calculator, their half marathon and marathon efforts would probably be slower than yeah. predicted. And that's a complicated place though, because all the calculators are different. I was just some of the calculators are based on professional athletes in at their core that are largely probably going to be predisposed slow twitch. So they're, uh, sometimes I find that the calculators estimate faster marathons than they should, not because people are doing lower volume. This is even in athletes doing higher volume. It's because they weren't formed on initial conditions of a plug-in of faster twitch athletes like myself. Like if you do that, you start to see different correlations. And that gets back to the 20% rule. The decay rates change. Um, and that changes how athletes train, changes how they think about their growth. Actually, one of my favorite calculators is the Jack the Jack Daniels, the Jack Daniels V dot calculator. Yeah. And I think that calculator, if you talk about this model of the inputs, I think actually in that calculator, he largely 
actually fed in like 99% elite slow twitch athletes. Because actually, whenever I do a conversion on the Jack Daniels VDOT calculator yeah. from like 10K to marathon, I actually wind up having to add a few minutes for almost every single athlete. Yeah. Um, unless they are truly at this like elite slow twitch, the, like an elite slow, slow twitch athlete. And that's one example where it's interesting to think about like a machine learning model or a model in general and just thinking about, okay, what are the inputs that we fed this and how does this yeah. relate to my own experience? Yeah. And I think it, it mainly matters in a very general sense. You can look at your history to understand. I mean, Megan was a, an elite world-class field hockey player, like on the Team USA developmental, like all that stuff. Clearly you don't do that if you're pure slow twitch. Um, similarly, I was a sprinter um, that looked a little bit like a fire hydrant, not pure slow twitch. Probably both intermediate, we have learned. We might've assumed faster twitch at the time. You can probably look at your history and the types of workouts you like and really get a feel for that. The question is, what do we do with that information? Um, first, do the muscle fibers switch over time? The answer is a brig resounding, maybe. Um, and a 2012 study in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research really developed that theory um, that has been ruminating since. But the next step is the most fascinating of all. So if you have kind of glazed over, pay special attention. This next study is one of our favorites of all time. This is such a cool study. It's basically like a 52-year study done in like a randomized control trial. And how do you do that in science? And people out there are probably thinking you do it through identical twins. When I feel like having an identical twin would be both amazing and also kind of daunting at the same time yeah. because you basically have the same genetics and we're going to go into that in a second so it's like constantly this person <laughs> with your same genetics walking around in the world and you're like what are they doing over there well let's make it into a scientific study so the details of this study, mm -hmm. um, it was in the European Journal of Applied Physiology, and it involved 52-year-old identical twins. And I think what's really interesting is that I believe they were separated at birth. So they were just in totally different uh, scenarios, which is awfully cinematic. I feel like this could be an exercise physiology movie or something. That's so true. Though ideally, actually, if we could truly isolate like genetic versus environmental effects, it would be great to have them only different on that one variable, <laughs> which if you can see the exercise physiology is coming, it's exercise, and then have their environments be the same. That way we can truly isolate <laughs> the effects of exercise, but you got to do what you got to do sometimes. Always, always over here, poking holes and things like that. Bird, budding statistician you are. Um, so the, the fascinating th thing here is one twin did chronic endurance training for more than 30 years. So they were an endurance athlete. The other twin did no specific or consistent exercise. So sedentary versus, you know, consistent athlete that was in this crackpot for a really long period of time. How cool is that? You can delve in and see what does long-term training actually do to the body, um, in ways that control for genetics. So cool. And the findings were wildly significant. So what they found was that the trained twin expressed 55% more slow twitch muscle fibers than yeah. the untrained twin. And to get at this idea, and I think a lot of people are thinking, okay, like what are identical twins truly? Yeah. Actually, one of the reasons why this study is so cool is that when you look at the genetics of identical twins, that's also wild too. So there was actually a 2014 study in the Journal of Medical Genetics, and they found that 1.2 times 10 to the negative seventh, twins had 1.2 times 10 to the negative seventh mutations per nucleotide. So a nucleotide okay. is essentially a basic structural unit of DNA. There's like many, 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 many nucleotides in the body. Um, so in other words, the probability of having a mutation on a single nucleotide is, you know, 1.2 times 10 to the negative seventh, which is uh, a lot of zeros <laughs> and then one, two. And that's actually very, very low. So when yeah. we're looking at these identical twins, I mean, it's actually, it's a great comparison. Yeah. We can basically assume a one-to-one -one compare 
comparison for the sake of uh, the study, at least. And so 55% change in slow twitch muscle fibers. That is wild. Um, basically what it's saying is that if these athletes do it, do train over a long period of time, the underlying things that we consider building block genetics of, uh, you know, an individual that might be relatively unchangeable actually change a stunning amount. And this is backed up by, there's been some studies on cross country skiers that look at an individual skier. You know, the hard part is you don't have twins all the time in skiing or any other thing else, but look at an individual skier over 10 years and found two to 4% changes in already advanced skiers. So you're seeing a, a slight uh, move towards slow twitch over time. So how exactly is that happening? The problem is we don't, don't really know. Is this um, intermediate fibers changing their behavior or is this intermediate fibers changing their entire composition? Is this fast twitch? Like we just don't know. Um, there's some theories for how that is that are a little too detailed. Um, but it gets to the point that that's how you can start to see like fundamental changes because who you are as an athlete can be fully different than who you become as an athlete at the like muscle fiber level. And that applies to everything else too. Whoa. Wild. Whoa is such a good term for this. Also, as I'm sitting here thinking about this, I think the first term that comes to my mind is plasticity as well. So a lot of times in neuroscience research and in research in the human body in general, we think about the brain as yeah. being like this incredibly plastic system. And it truly is like our brains are constantly changing and evolving and growing based off of new circumstances and new stimuli. But actually, as I think about this too, I think this really gets to the idea that like the musculoskeletal system and the cardiovascular system are also incredibly plastic yeah. too in ways that we're just beginning to understand. And I think that's like why it's such a cool time to be in this field of exercise physiology yeah. is because we're like, we're truly going to these new levels of understanding the plasticity involved. Yeah. It's so wild. I mean, you know, we, we've mentioned like our histories a little bit, but you know, I was a fire hydrant that was able to like, you know, stop calling yourself that. That makes me mad. I like fire hydrants. They save people. You were, you looked awesome and you were like <laughs> strong and athletic and you were not a fire hydrant. Okay. That's like your fourth time saying this. And I'm like, must have an intervention. <laughs> but from that place, which was pure sprinting, you know, I was able to grow over time. But four years after I started doing endurance training seriously, I was still nowhere close to where I became four years after that. And the idea being like, clearly there were some underlying processes that even without many changes in training needed to happen and don't happen on the timeline that my brain liked, liked to think about. Like I thought I was a certain level athlete. And even now I think I'm a certain level athlete and I'm still seeing these changes unfold. Um, in, in at least in what I think I'm seeing. And we see that in athletes too. And it's why we're like, gosh, if we could just get athletes to truly invest and believe through the ups and downs and past those um, variations, then you see wild things might be possible. And it's not just like how your genetics becomes who you are as an athlete. It's also how the genes themselves uh, you know, can change their expression over time. And it's just this cool, cool field that I think makes anything possible for an individual athlete. And what I like about the field, and I think this is also presents some inherent challenges is doing the research and doing the research is the idea that like once that process happens, impacts so many different downstream yes. processes. So like we're talking about like, you know, blood profiles, we're talking about how the heart is beating, we're talking about how the muscles are interacting, how even the nervous system yeah. interacts with all of that. And it's all cascading together in a way that like we're starting to isolate the individual effects while also knowing that they cause this, these big downstream effects. Yeah, and how the brain actually mediates all this stuff, not just in the nervous system way, but in terms of motivate, pure motivation. I mean, um, you think about a faster twitch athlete, like it, for the faster twitch athletes out there, if you listen to the fatigue resistance, you might understand. It's like, yeah, I guess I do like at mile, whatever, a few hours into event, just kind of lose neural drive to muscles, no matter what I do or how I train. And that does change over time. And as athletes improve at that metric, perhaps they're able to push in ways that then their body adapts to more because they're not being down and like unhappy about 
like this expectation of failure. Um, and like, that's one big thing I've seen with me. Like, I can't wait to step up to hundred miles. I know I'm not ready yet because I still have to let these processes unfold a little bit beneath the surface. Um, but you know, in a few years, maybe. And I think every athlete is on that journey and it's so cool. And it's a fun journey. Actually, we'll get back to it. This is another study that I absolutely love. I feel like this, the the moral of this part or the like summary of this podcast are very cool study designs <laughs> from cookies to genetics to muscle biopsies. So this one is actually one of my favorites. It was a 2014 study in the journal Epigenetics. And they took 23 participants and they had them do one-legged cycling for 45 minutes, four times per week, over four months. Can you imagine? I hope they paid these research participants a lot. I don't know if anyone out there has done single leg drills on the bike, yeah. but I, I used to do them when I was biking a lot and would do them for like, you know, 45 seconds to two minutes doing that for 45 <laughs> minutes, four times per week. I really hope they paid these research participants a lot. Well over 500 grams of cookies um, and not oatmeal raisin, you know, fuck oatmeal raisin cookies. I was thinking about this. What it's like a being played a practical joke on you because it's like all those raisins could be chocolate chips. Why are they not? This is a major problem. I actually, I don't know. I tend to agree with you a little bit, but also differ because oatmeal raisin cookies are just like so soft and chewy and delicious. So I agree. Like a chocolate be, cookie can be soft and chewy and delicious. I know, but there's something extra special about the softness of oatmeal raisin cookies. I don't need fruit in my cookie. That's true. Fruit, fruit can stay far away. Okay, fruit, you win. Fruit's great. It's its own thing. You totally win. I win. Yes. Oh. Oh, ah, I don't know what to do with myself anymore. This is amazing. Okay, so sorry to interrupt your study design. Yes. Um, okay, so back, back to the study. So after the training period, what happened was the researchers took muscle biopsies of both legs. And actually, I think this is really cool because a lot of times in research, we're trying to figure out how to derive the best control group. Yeah. And ideally, you can do it on the same body. So actually, the inactive leg for each participant was considered the control group. Yeah. So they had, you know, 23 right legs and 23 left legs. I'm sure they switched the laterality of it. Um, and that's how they structured the study. And what they found actually was that there were significant changes in the activity effect thousands of genes associated with muscle function and health in the wow. trained legs and only in the trained legs. And I actually find this curious because as I was thinking about it, like a lot of exercise is actually like the systemic effects that then impact muscles, mm -hmm. but also a lot of exercise is like what's directly happening to muscles. And that's what this study is, is measuring by having, you know, the control group being on the same body as, yeah. as the, as the, well, the aerobic um, system intervention group innervates everything or, <laughs> you know, that's the wrong word, but like it's, it's, you know, there are capillaries everywhere and they're all getting the same blood flow, even if the uh, exact behavior changes, particularly in the legs. Um, so this is wild. Okay. So zooming back, we all have a set genetic code as, as set by the twins. Um, those distribute over time based on our behavior to different outcomes. Um, some of that is probably just baseline, like that is how the physiology will unfold. So perhaps for the twins, uh, humans have some ability to become slower twitch over time, which is good for endurance performance. But layered on top of that, and what might be motivating some of the things we see in the twins as well, is that the behavior of the genes change. So what starts as your baseline genetics is not your finish line genetics in the sense of how they're actually working. Wow, that is just so weird. And epigenetics, I think, might be the great unexplored um, horizon in endurance training more generally. How much of what we're doing is because of epigenetic expression? We don't know because it's really hard to measure. And I don't know how you would control for it um, in, a, in specific athletes outside of doing some of these types of tests that aren't uh, training 
you know, effective for training, but maybe that's why we do strides. Who knows? Like, we just don't know. And maybe that's what we're measuring in fatigue resistance. Who knows? And that who knows part is why this is so exciting. And we'll keep you updated. And I think the other cool thing about this study too, is the idea that this was done under over four months. Yeah. And it's like, what happens if we take this over four years? Yeah. Like imagine, and I think from what we've seen in, in athletes anecdotally, like those changes just become compounded over four years. It's not like these changes happen at four months and just stay stagnant. It's continues and continues and continues. And I think that's why like staying on the process and staying on the journey is so important. I love the analogy you gave of the start line and the finish line yeah. with genetics. And I like to think about the idea that there's a lot of aid stations on the races between so the start line and the finish line. And what happens to the body is often dictated by those aid stations, by all the other things that happen between the start. And the yeah. Finish. And you think, you know, four months, four years, 40 years, that's like, might be the most exciting at all. So, you know, I imagine we don't have too many 80 year old listeners on here or 90 year old listeners, but if you are, or if you're aging, um, know that the cool thing about athletics is any preconceived notions you have about the aging process can be flipped on their head. And more and more studies are coming out on this because of gene expression and how this type of thing can fundamentally alter the aging progress or in aging progress curves. Um, so to, to zoom back a little bit, um, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by how this works for specific athletes. And I was thinking about, um, um, Tyler Fox. So um, this amazing athlete, follow Tyler, Tyler Fox on uh, Instagram. He's shuffling underscore four underscore snacks. What he's, a good Instagram handle. Yeah, it's amazing. He doesn't really interact too much on there, but I'm trying to encourage him to more because I think he's going to be like, he's, I think he's one of the best coaches out there. Um, but he just got a golden ticket at Bandera. And, um, but when I see him cross the line and get this golden ticket, I'm thinking about, okay, you know, 1400 days ago or whatever, when I thought he was a different athlete than he became. And the point being, like, I understood at the time that, okay, things do change over time. So you'd never pigeonhole someone into what they are. And we grew together. And now, you know, who knows where the ceiling is for him? I think he could be the type of athlete that competes for the win at Western States. Um, but that all required, you know, him and any athlete in that scenario where you're not the champion right away um, to let go and immerse yourself in the crockpot. Um, and that's what athletes like Tyler Fox are able to do and have this really long-term bonkers progression that makes no sense if you look at the origin point only and the initial conditions only. Um, and that's why exercise physiology and physiology and genetics are so exciting because whatever your initial conditions are, even if you're out there and you're just thinking about doing your first run step, you can go on to the most remarkable adventures. And it just requires, you know, embracing that low, low heat setting for four months or four years or maybe even 40. Actually, I think one of the things I'm most fascinated about is how, so we've talked on here a lot about a lot of physical physical variables and interventions that come into this equation. But what happens when you start adding psychological variables yeah. as well? And I think that's what we're getting at is the idea that like to sustain four months, four years, 40 years, you have to throw a lot of belief so and a lot of like perseverance and resilience into that equation. And I think it's so cool to think about how those are also training interventions yeah. that happen on the cellular level. And like, we're just beginning to untangle and it. through the the lowest lows. We're not going to get to our big topic on sports being cruel. Um, but the idea of that whole understanding or thing is that when you do this process, you're essentially signing up to have your heart broken over and over and over again. And sometimes your body, sometimes your heart itself literally broken. Um, and the reason that that matters so much is that so many of the, the things that we are looking to change with this behavior uh, act on scales that don't really care about those temporary heartbreaks, right? Like they're operating on much longer scales. So there are adaptations happening for you right now that are beneath the surface from things you've done four or five years ago. Um, but we don't really understand how they're working or why they're working. We just know they are. And we only know they are because we get to see these zoomed out 30 year studies on identical twins or something and be like, what the fuck just happened? 
Um, and so we're all kind of stepping into that what the fuck just happened crockpot. Actually, I'm sitting here right now and my, my brain is going into a bunch of different directions. Yeah. And I'm thinking about the idea that actually I think one of our next Sexy Science Corner episodes, we should take the concept of what you're talking about, that sports are cruel. Yeah. And really layer in like what happens when you go through heartbreak in sports, mm-hmm. like literally and and figuratively in how that impacts training, how that impacts like subsequent races, how that impacts behavior. Because I think actually like we can talk about it from like a sensational point of view, but I think also diving into the science yeah. on that would be so interesting. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. And I mean, every athlete goes through it. So a uh, little story, Megan and I were debating whether I had actually told this on the podcast before, but it's so good. I want to tell it one more time. Um, so we're at dinner with Drew as Drew comes up a lot on this podcast. We just love Drew. Drew's a good dude. And Sasha, who we also love. And Sasha's the best um and we were they were they were cyclists as well as runners and so they were talking about biking through this town called netherland in colorado and they were like oh yeah you know when we bike through netherland sometimes we're on the peak to peak highway and almost every time we'll look up and we'll just see this old guy riding on the stationary bike on his porch um you know the stationary bike looks like it's from the 1970s the whole time megan and i's eyes are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and and after a while we're like hey sasha and drew that's my dad um, so my dad, uh, he's, you know, 69 years old is up there riding his 1970s Tintori stationary bike. Uh, and he's the talk of the whole Boulder cycling community. Um, and why that's significant to me is I've just gotten a window into the, you know, this part of my dad's athletic career. He's been doing this for a long time is that I've seen him just hit the lowest lows. I've seen him have so many surgeries. I've seen him, you know, doubt whether he'd ever be able to run again, bike again, do any of these things again. And every time he just keeps showing up and jumping on that old stationary bike. And like, that's kind of what I think we all need to do is not, are we going to win this race? We just need to keep showing up and jumping on the bike. And I think when we go through the lowest lows, I think it's human nature to feel like we are the only one going through the lowest lows. Like, why is this happening to me? Like questioning existence, questioning everything. But I think once you've seen these stories of people that rebound from the lowest lows and they are out there everywhere, um, I think it becomes really instructive. And I think it's also interesting to dive into the human nature of why we feel like we're the only ones in those situations and like ways to get around that. So sexy science coming. (laughs) I love that topic on your dad. So David's dad, they actually shoveled recently. Netherlands got a snowstorm. Actually, Netherlands always getting yes storms. it's always in snow yes but they uh they shoveled they had like this like creative shoveling job so your dad could get to the tintory and ride his <laughs> 1970s stationary bike through the snowstorm while playing hearts on uh the computer solitaire or something on his little uh ancient computer as well very much uh a man that i clearly came from uh in some level uh but yeah love you dad if you're listening to this uh very motivated by you in every single way um, okay, so we're on this topic. Actually, I think it's a good transition to listen to Carter. We have so many topics we don't get to. I promise side stitches eventually. I told David, actually, there's a comment on Instagram. David, the people want side stitches. <laughs> where I, I try to put it. We actually, Dave and I have this, like, we kind of have a little bit of like a podcast outline war. Yeah. I have putting, I've been putting side stitches up front and then you move it down. Then I put it up front and then you move it down. So it got moved down on this episode, but it's coming. The people want side stitches. Yeah. We're going to talk about them. <laughs> well, yeah. I, Actually, if you have any questions, I'll just send you the outline for that portion. Uh, so get 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 on that if you struggle with it, because we have some interesting interventions. So on the topic of long-term growth, of stepping into that crockpot, this is from listener A. I was heading out for my long run the other day, a freshly downloaded spot podcast in my ears, when a few blocks from my home, a small kid waved emphatically emphatically at me as I approached. As I got closer, I pulled a nearbud out, and he excitedly asked me, are you in the Olympics? Um, is that why I see you running all the time? <laughs> Flattered, a little shocked. I came up with the uh, best love of the process, badass swap answer I could think of. I t- uh, tilted down my shades, 
looked the kid in the eye with a smile and said, not yet. And then proceeded to run off down the road doing my best impersonation of Kipchoge. In these dark and rainy days of winter, it was wonderful to realize that I wasn't the only one aware of the daily grind of training I was putting myself through. You never know when a neighborhood kid will think they live to a, next to a secret Olympian in training. Although it's best to remember you aren't Kipchoge, or you'll end up tempoing the first half of your long run and then bonk hard. Still, the best run I've had in ages. I so appreciate that swag from listener A. That's a <laughs> and I really appreciate that email that too. It was a great piece of writing. And now right now I am scrolling past. So we have to get down to listener corner. Which we is have side stitches. We have sports are cruel. We have barefoot running. Uh, we have actually getting into coaching and some and some interesting things there. Oh man, so many good stories that we're not telling. I was going to say, as I scroll past this, it's how many kind pages of like, is this? It's kind of like the longing regret that you have when you yeah. turn a library book early and you realize that you didn't get to read any of the good, why did I, the good stuff. Why did I talk so much about stains when we had all of this going on? Okay, so the next one is called Compassion Huzzah from B. And this is, um, really appreciate these listeners sending in these, these um, this feedback. I just wanted to reach out and say a massive thank you for all that you do and for using your voices in the most beautiful way by encouraging others and helping to build a strong and healthy running community. I've been a podcast listener from the beginning, and it's really helped me stay consistent as well as keeping my athletic life very lighthearted and playful. <laughs> Running, and then in parentheses, or walking, depending on the day. Adventuring, dreaming, and getting outside has been an incredible way for me to de-stress and clear my mind after a long workday. Last year, I worked as a COVID-19 contact tracer while being a full-time grad student, and now I'm currently in the midst of my first year teaching while, where I'm a fifth grade teacher. Beyond the de-stressing, the running advice given also helped me train while staying happy and healthy and have a very positive and meaningful experience at the New York City Marathon in 2021. But more importantly, I can confidently say I'm a more mature, compassionate, and aware human by simply interacting with you both. I hope that this helps you both understand just how special and bright your, your lights are. And then huzzah. Huzzah. I actually added the huzzah, but <laughs> I just really feel it from, from listener V. So thank you so much. That means so much. Yeah. And I think one thing that was interesting there is the parenthetical about or walking. Um, you know, as we're talking about the limits of human performance, I think it should be really clear hopefully, that we're talking about the limit of any individual human's performance. Like the genetic variability in each of us means that those finish lines end up in remarkably different places, but all the same principles apply. Like if you're running out there at, you know, 20 minute per mile pace, you're feeling the same sensations as someone that is running four minutes per mile pace. Um, and embracing that, embracing that, you know, we're all on the same journey. So even as we're talking about like a 1% improvement margin, the, those improvement margins matter so fucking much, no matter where exactly they lead. And that's, I think, the whole point of sports. That's like the best part of all of this. And the and walking parenthetical right now is actually currently the story of my life. And I'm <laughs> learning to enjoy it in so many new ways, like seeing all the beautiful things out there. There's, I'm actually so much less daunted when I get on the car yeah. when I'm going for a walk compared to when I'm going for a long run. And that comes with its own beauty too. Yeah. And there's low level aerobic development happening all the time. You're keeping that crock pot on really low right now. And who knows what comes from that. Uh, so final one, we got this, uh, and this is from listener S. I just want to say a huge thank you for your transparency and willingness to share so openly on the podcast. It is so encouraging and refreshing to hear you both be so open, especially this week with your dual relationship challenges and how it's affected your running in the moment. It's amazing how similar we all are, are sometimes, even if our circumstances and backgrounds are different. The SWAT podcast has um, made me not feel so alone lately. Thank you for giving us that camaraderie and hoping you feel it reciprocated. And yeah, we really freaking do. I mean, that's why we do it at this point. This is, again... We're busy. We have lots of emails. This is such a labor of love. And knowing that it means something to some people out there, 
my gosh, it brightens our souls up. All week, we're just like, we can't wait to get to talk to everyone and get the feedback and everything. So yeah, we when we say we love you, we mean like each and every one of you. Thank you. And it seriously means a ton. Sometimes I feel like whenever you do any creative endeavor, and I think this is inherent in just like being a part of the creative processes, sometimes I'll release this podcast and I'll have a moment where I cringe and I'll be like, yeah. oh my gosh, what did we just do? But knowing, and sometimes those like cringeworthy moments in my mind, someone will email and say like, oh, that made a difference in my yeah. day. And I think what I've gotten behind is, is like, even like if I finish and it, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what do we just do? Usually actually one person is helped by that. And if we can help one person, that yeah. is like the entire goal of the swap podcast. And so these comments just mean a ton. Yeah. We're ferociously imperfect. Like, I, I feel like that's a key reminder here. We have uh, both literal and metaphorical stains all over ourselves in our character. And so if you feel like you're walking around with a little bit of a stain, like you haven't just cleaned everything off real recently, know that that's cool. And not only is it cool, it's something I think that makes you special and we love about you. That term ferocious, I can get behind. I'm just going to add whenever I feel imperfect, instead of like, I don't know, like feeling cringeworthy or whatever, yeah. I'm just going to go rawr. Rawr. Um, so rawr is the way to end this podcast. We absolutely love you all. Rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends, all that good stuff. Um, we have a lot more cool subjects coming in the future. So bear with us. We'll get to them. We love your questions. Keep them coming. Thank you all. Woohoo. Woohoo. Bye.